Hello. Hey. Right before recording, a very giant peal of thunder happened. So I'm I'm ready. Tell me a tale. I'm curled up on my couch. I got a black cat with me. Tell me a tale. Yeah. The only thing is for all we know when the listener tunes in Thursday or later, the environment will be way different. <laughs> Who knows? Be like, who wants to curl up right now? <laughs> we'll be back to summer. We'll go do one more freeze just for fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, today's tale is going to be about the Nicaraguan Revolution. Is it appropriately spooky? Mm, not really. No. Okay. I mean, it's like, you know, big and dangerous and crazy shit happens. I'll take I, it. I wouldn't call it spooky. Okay. That's fine. Well, this is going to be the, the part one. Yes, two. we have decided to limit ourselves. <laughs> yeah, just because the, the scope can really get you far afield, and and uh, there's lots of moving parts, especially when you get into the, into the second part when you're dealing with uh, even more U.S. fuckery <laughs> than usual. <laughs> so uh, another thing, I don't know. I kind of wanted to you know run it by you or whatever is I was thinking to just say it like Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Normal <laughs> kind of American pronunciation. And I understand, like, okay, you know, in Spanish, this will be Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. But I always have this sort of like, I don't know, the way we refer to it kind of outside of the show <laughs> is like the Giada treatment. Giada. With her, it comes out of nowhere. And I mean, I know it's the authentic pronunciation, but like, I don't want to be. I mean, I know I get weird about that, too, because I feel okay. It's not like I do that with Mexico and like I have family from there. You know, I don't like in the middle of a sentence say like Mexico. And I don't know why I sounded like fucking Mario just then. But, you know, whatever. That was a pretty good Mario. Thank you. That's (laughs) it. That's him going to Mexico. So I, I think just Americanized is fine. I think we know what you're talking about. I found it an interesting conundrum as a halfy. <laughs> you know, my theory of like, we should all learn a language and it, like we should all learn how to say the country the way they want to be called, you know, like we should just say Deutschland. Like we don't have to go full on like, you know, extreme German pronunciation or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. that's not hard, you know. That's true. Yeah. We should have some basic things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But anyway, we're going to be talking about Nicaragua, Nicaragua. (laughs) You do a good job, though. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It doesn't have anything that I'm bad at, like rolling multiple R's, you know. Well, okay. I have written about this. Spanish, for me, way in the front of your mouth, like totally different zone. And it's like much more delicate. Like to me, English is way guttural and just like back of the throat. I, I have a really hard time switching between the two. Like, I have to be like, all right, Spanish mode, and kind of, like, shift my focus physically. And so, like, I'm going to have to do some comics readings in a bit, like, and read some bilingual pages. It's going to be messy. I'm going to be stumbling over some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. To me, it's a different cadence. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it is. I mean, it's very staccato versus yeah, yeah. the kind of... English, yeah. everything runs together. yeah. You're syrupy, mm-hmm. but that's the sort of English you're brought up on too. That's true. <laughs> back, back to it. <laughs> Didn't need an opener because of that. Uh, <laughs> of course, we'll find one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to start the story well before uh, the Nicaraguan Revolution itself. Great. Hold on. I got to look up a map. You know me. 
I'm a visual person. Yeah, so Nicaragua's in Central America. Cool flag. What's the triangle in it? What is it? I don't know. I'm pulling it up. I haven't looked at the flag, really. Oh, that's sick. It is a triangle with a rainbow with that, uh, that, what's that called? That Roman Smurf hat. You know what I'm saying. You, the Liberty hat? Yeah. And then there's the, there's mountains, whoop. I assume. It's that or there's circus tents. Yo, those are mountains. <laughs> They're very geometric in my defense. That's a sick flag. So it's in Central America. Uh, It's bordered uh, to the north by Honduras and to the south by Costa Rica. And uh, we'll start the story back in briefly to mention the Spanish-American War. Mm, Okay. We've talked about this before. I've, I've made a clay map out of the end results of the spanish-american war did you have that project no i'm all over the place today i'm sorry that's cool (laughs) so the spanish-american war u.s versus spain hence the name very brief u.s picks a fight says let's see if we can take all your territories they succeed Uh, and so they're like yeah we're gonna do imperialism now we're gonna like the the monroe doctrine that we've been talking about for so long we're we're gonna make a reality we're actually going to make Latin American territory all over the Western Hemisphere the United States' backyard. Ew, I don't like it. So when you say backyard, I mean, I know, like, we got, like, the Philippines from that, right? Yeah. And, like, that became kind of like a territory situation, right? Yeah, it became a, a bloody occupation. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess when you say Central America... And Latin America became like its backyard. Do you just mean like we made a lot of foreign policy about it or like we were colonizing it actively or both? Not colonizing (laughs) it in the sense of like trying to settle it, but economic colonization. Uh, Neo-colonialism. Yeah. And uh, kicking the door in whenever we wanted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, This started a series of conflicts called the Banana Wars. Uh, from 1898 to 1934, uh, where we just, we, successive U.S. presidents were like, yeah, go ahead, intervene, let's do this. Sure. <laughs> Repeatedly. Uh, and so in Nicaragua, this first starts in 1912. At first, uh, so there's a, there's a civil war. There's, there's a few rounds of this sort of civil war thing between liberal forces and conservatives. They just, you know, they would fuck each other over. That sounds like a boring civil war. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and it was it was between the ruling classes. I mean, different factions of the ruling class fighting it out for who's going to be in charge. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're both bourgeoisie, mm-hmm. probably with some sort of feudal elements in the, con- in the uh, conservative camp, but still. Okay. When did Nicaragua gain its independence? My guess is going to be 1820 or 1821. Let's see. Okay. Listeners, if you're an ASMR person, I have rain outside my window and a cat purring. So I hope you can pick up on some of that. Independence (gasps) was declared 15th of September, 1821. Wow, you get a prize. Heck yeah. So 1820 and 1821 is when lots of Latin American countries started declaring their independence from from Spain. So a little insider trading there. (laughs) You could always make a guess there. If you're on Jeopardy, just throw out 1820, (laughs) 1821. Maybe you'll be right. Yep. (laughs) So 1912, they have a civil war. And so the U.S. 
sends in some troops, pretty small number, to, to intervene just ostensibly to protect American citizens and their property. Similar thing to what they did in Mexico during the Re- Mexican Revolution. I mean, are there a lot of American... I mean, when they say Americans, they're not saying like there's like families down there. They mean like there's companies down there, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> companies, the people that work for them, and maybe their families or something, but yeah, yeah. that's yeah. specifically... They they intervene briefly. The Civil War kind of dies down. They sign a, a truce or whatever. Uh, and around 100 U.S. Marines remain there until more are brought later on. And not till 1927, though. So those dudes and the people that kind of shuffle in for them remain garrisoned there. And then more come in in 1927. The government requests them because there's another Civil War. Round two. I mean, the way to really read this is, like you said... They're protecting the corporations and pretty importantly, uh, the interests of the banks that have lent money to the government there. Okay. (laughs) You don't want that government going under Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, we're not going to pay you anymore. (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, Another sort of ulterior motive was they didn't want other countries to gain influence in Nicaragua because they wanted to, they were still considering, they didn't have the Panama Canal hammered out just yet. So they're like, maybe we'll build a canal through here, or at least we don't want other people to do it. All this to kind of build a background of the end of this civil war. This was called the Constitutionalist War. Okay. It was about the Constitution. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were like, oh, you suspended parliament. That's bad. That is bad. We don't like that. You know. And one of the liberals in this, they were were the guys who were like, no, you suspended Congress. That's bad. You know. Um one of the liberal commanders in this was a guy named Augusto Cesar Sandino. Oh, this is, this is where you get the Sandinistas, eh? This is where, yeah. Ah, which is a fun, if you ever, I don't know, if you're looking for a pun, you can always say you're a Sandersnista if you want to <laughs> get a little military. Yeah, that's why I got my Bernie <laughs> cup, because it's an homage to that, uh, to that little thing, a Sandinista. So Sandino... At the end of the war, they signed this treaty. They're like, hey, you've got to disarm and all this stuff. And he said, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to do it. He retreats into the mountains with his rebel band. Uh, the reason being that he says this new government is just going to be an American puppet. I mean, he's not wrong, is he? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, the U.S. was going to still occupy Nicaragua. Uh, they were going to hold elections in 1928 under American supervision. Uh, in in the meantime, the U.S. was going to be training up a new National Guard for the government to keep the peace. All right, we're pulling an Iraq over there or an Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stabilizing the region. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bringing democracy, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, we know the drill by now. This may have been new <laughs> to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was still cutting edge. <laughs> so Sandino says, this is bullshit. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. We still got our guns. They were actually offering to pay people like $10 a gun. To bring your gun in. I guess that's good price back then. Yeah, it was better than it is now. Uh, yeah, I'd be like, ah, I think I'm good. I could like really? get more for the metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he retreats to the mountains and soon leads a guerrilla insurgency Damn. against the U.S. occupation. Can you imagine if our liberals were like this cool? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, well, so it's interesting about him. He's not super like a liberal. He's not a politician. Uh, he's... He, he, he grows up rough. Uh, as a young man, he 
1921, he tries to murder this guy, uh, this rich conservative guy who had insulted his mother. Damn, okay. And, you know, this murder doesn't work. He has to flee to avoid legal repercussions or worse uh, and lives in exile in Mexico for a while. Uh, where he hung out with anarchists and communists. Ooh, we got some good ones up there, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, 1920s, this is the... This is the time. The tumult of the revolution still kind of around. Also hangs out with some some kind of odder people, some uh, spiritists. Ooh, okay. So like a little new agey sort of uh, woo-woo stuff, too. And he so he ends up with this kind of eclectic left-wing political ideology... By the time he returns to do this. So he's definitely not a politician sort. He's almost seeing, not himself really, but his movement as this sort of messianic sort of saving the country, saving the campesinos and everyone. And so he kicks this thing off with him and a group of 50 men taking over uh, the mine of his former boss. That's fucking cool. (laughs) He goes in there, says, I, I, I'm the fucking boss now, <laughs> uh, steals about 500 pounds of dynamite. Hell yeah. And says, basically, I'm going to use this to kill Yankees. I mean, I'm kind of pro historically, obviously, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, the, the, his group issues a manifesto condemning the end of the Civil War as a betrayal of the liberal revolution and declaring war on the colossus of the north as he puts it the u.s wow okay good luck man they're like pretty big (laughs) big first target (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty funny he's he's very confident yeah and he has this sort of flair for exaggeration so he's like yeah they're big but i'm pretty big too you know i got three thousand guys and really, probably his force maxed out at about 300 okay. throughout the conflict. <laughs> but they all fought like 10 men. They were super right, strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, he had that, you know, battles. It'd be like, oh, yeah, well, we wiped the field with them. There were this many dead. And they're like, we had about 20 guys there. <laughs> like, there weren't 500 That's dead. That's hilarious. <laughs> so he was just very dramatic. I see. <laughs> uh, so the U.S., now has to deal with Sandino and his merry band. They call him a bandit in the press. They're like, this guy, he's just out robbing people. I bet they know. call him a bandito, too, you know. Oh, yeah, to, to make, get to the make it racist. Going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sandino's reply to this was, quote, we are no more bandits than George Washington. <gasps> oh, that's a good quote. He said, if their consciousness, meaning Americans, you know, he says, if their consciences had not become dulled by the scramble for wealth, Americans would not so easily forget the lesson that sooner or later, every nation, however weak, achieves freedom, and that every abuse of power hastens the destruction of the one who wields it. Ooh, yes, yes. Okay, you speak my language. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool, too, because, you know, there's a pretty rich tradition we saw with Ho Chi Minh of hearkening back to this American, you know, hey, wait, hold on a second. You guys think you're so revolutionary, you know, talk about freedom and democracy and all this, you know, because Ho Chi Minh did like the the words from the Declaration of Independence and all that. And here he is kind of doing the same thing. Like, what do you mean? Like, you guys were sniping (laughs) British officers. 
what's the problem? That's what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, hyperbolic about his victories and whatnot, and, and really kind of gets defeated a lot too. But he's widely admired. Uh, he's kind of inspires people and stuff, and he's got this popular sort of folk hero uh, air about him, even though his army itself is not really seeing success. Uh, he also got nominal support internationally from communists. Mm, lovely. Like who? Uh, so one was one of the mass organizations of the common turn, uh, the all America anti-imperialist league. <laughs> I want a shirt with that. <laughs> like super patriotic and like looks like a classic, you know, USA shirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Read it. All America. Like a, like a sports team <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Oh, that'd be great. So they issued statements in support of him. Uh, The common turn also expressed solidarity with the workers and peasants of Nicaragua and the heroic army of national emancipation of General Sandino. Nice. Uh, He also had a half brother named Socrates. Oh. uh, Who lived in New York City. Okay. That's interesting on a lot of levels. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's. So that's one of those Latin American names that are too cool. Yeah, like, like, all right, you can't just do that. Yeah. (laughs) It's just reserved for them. They're (laughs) the only ones that can pull it off. And uh, his half-brother spoke at rallies uh, in New York uh, against American involvement in Nicaragua. Uh, And these rallies were organized by the Anti-Imperialist League and by Communist Party USA. So he had some help, but it was like really a losing cause uh, he ends up getting asylum in Mexico in 1929 briefly before returning, but he like could not get anything off the ground uh, revolution wise. But luckily, the Great Depression happened. Oh, good. My favorite. Luckily, yeah, very lucky. <laughs> uh, but what this meant for the U.S. is that they started to look at all their various, you know, kickings in of doors. <laughs> they had to pull some people back. Yeah, they're like, this costs a lot of money. <laughs> We, we we like imperialism still, but it's it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An expensive hobby, right? Yeah, they <laughs> they looked around. They had too many minis. Mm-hmm. They had too many dice sets. <laughs> They're uh, like, I gotta cut back. Yeah. <laughs> so after FDR's election in 1932, uh, he institutes the the not a shitty neighbor policy, the good neighbor policy, okay, is what he calls yeah. it. Uh, not actively trying to kill you policy. <laughs> <laughs> right. What a good neighbor. Mm, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and so U.S. forces agreed to leave Nicaragua. Uh, Sandino, for his part, agreed to be loyal to the new government and ordered his forces to disarm uh, in exchange for like basically public works jobs guarantee and squatters rights for his guys. He was doing the, you know, following the motions but he was still kind of criticizing the whole deal and saying like we really shouldn't have this national guard like it should be gotten rid of we should dissolve that that sort of thing and instead of that they got rid of him oh shit okay so that was in 1933 that the troops left the new government takes over february 1934 after meeting with the new president uh sandino and his half-brother and two of his former generals were ambushed uh, and executed by the National Guard. Shit. Yeah, according to some versions of the tale, it's billed as sort of apocryphal, legendary, but it's it's a cool story, so I'll tell (laughs) it. Cool if true. Maybe it's not true. 
the National Guard uh, decapitated him after killing him and delivered his severed head to the U.S. government oh. as a token of their loyalty. Oh, gosh, okay, some some Salome stuff happening. Okay, that's, that's the spooky part. Yeah, there that's spooky. I'm, I'm spooked. <laughs> wow, okay. But not necessarily true. Okay, but. we don't know. So a gruesome entry to the stage for the National Guard Jeez. in Nicaragua. Okay, so I'm going to assume they don't get any better, huh? <laughs> they don't. So they were led by a guy named Anastasio Somoza. He's the beginning of a period of time in Nicaragua called the Somoza Dictatorship. Not great. He was U.S. educated, the son of a wealthy plantation-owning family, uh, and two years after doing in Sandino, he uses that National Guard of his to force the president to resign and take power for himself. Ugh, okay. What was, who was the president at this time? Like, was he kind of more chill or, or still like kind of an asshole? The president after the Civil War? Um, yeah, I guess so. The one that just got got. He does. I mean, he looks more chill than the other, than the <laughs> National Guard guy. Yeah. But, uh, Low bar. he seems, yeah, he seems kind of like a dumbass. Probably a U.S. Uh, puppet in some way. Oh, definitely. Okay, Subservient sure. to the U.S. for sure. Not any sort of revolutionary type. Uh, he was also Somoza's, like, wife's uncle or something. Ooh, okay. Betrayal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to recap, though, like, this is a bad look, you know? Like, all right, we've got a peace treaty. Okay, we are going to murder the head of the other side and also do a quick coup. And let me guess, uh, the Americans are fine with this. They're totally fine with it. They're, them. like, happy about it, maybe. Well, they were the ones who insisted, it was their ambassador who insisted that Somoza be in charge of the National Guard. Okay, well, okay, but not like, be in charge, be in charge. (laughs) No, I mean, they didn't insist that part. (laughs) They're like, oh. just sort of happened. He's a real go-getter. Yeah. Anastasio Somoza took power, sending a picture of him. All right, let's see. Been staring at my cat. Oh, this is a come down from that. (laughs) <laughs> he does not look very friendly and he's got like what little two little pistols in front of him yeah little six shooters okay um terrible he looks like he just smelled some shit he looks like like a small town southern sheriff he does yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah do not want to get pulled over by that guy yeah no way Mm-mm. uh so he was he had a nickname tacho tacho okay what does what does that mean I don't know, to be honest. It could just be because Anastasio Tacho. Mm, I like that. We do it with Ignacio. That makes sense. Yeah. So he's the kind of patriarch of the Somoza dynasty. And the overall theme for these guys is they are ruthless. They are very corrupt. They're bad. They're the bad guys. Okay. Done. Filed away. (laughs) (laughs) An easy black and white question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they're backed by the U.S. Yeah, I'll do it. Kind of an interesting feature of their rule is that sometimes, uh, for the most part, they're directly in control, like as president. But there are times when they choose sort of a successor puppet sort of mm, guy. They pull it Jafar. Yeah, they're always firmly in control, though. And to the extent that they don't pull that off, there's brief intervals where they pick a guy and the guy's like oh but i want to do this i've got my own ideas 
Okay, yeah, yeah makes sense. They just get rid of them. <laughs> All right, so Tacho was there from 1936 to 1956. Uh, and his kind of reign, brief summary of it, uh, some of the greatest hits, shall we say, uh, centralizing power through, you know, altering the Constitution, making it all about him, uh, appointing his family to powerful posts. Uh, he let U.S. companies just come in and plunder the place. Uh, but he got something out of that. So he would kind of sign into these contracts, executive levies and presidential commissions <laughs> where he would get a nice little kickback. We'll find your fee. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a, wasn't his only way of making money. Uh, he also restricted imports like, ah, oh, you guys can't import this. Or you can't import that, whatever. But then he would have stores, where he specifically was selling the things that he had banned, okay. like his contraband. Cool, cool dude. Creating his own black market. Yeah, and for other such illegal industries, uh, like gambling or distilleries or, or sex work, he would take bribes from people operating these. Wow, wow, wow. As well. Okay. Yeah, so he was he was making a pretty penny. He was worth around four hundred million dollars <laughs> by nineteen fifty. All right. He just has a little playground. Yep. Kind of the interesting thing about Papa Somoza is that he actually did do a little bit of positive stuff for people sometime mm. early on at least. Uh he did like mild land reform, kinda. Mainly as a way to break up his rival's power bases. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. He he had, you know, kind of powerful local, almost gentry type, you know, opponents. And so one way to undermine them was to use the power of the government to yep. say, well, bitch, you don't have all these, <laughs> these huge land holdings anymore. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, smart move though, to like do some kind of positive things at the beginning. So then you can be like, you can't get that mad at me. Can you? <laughs> Right, yeah. It was, you know, it wasn't any sort of socialist project. No. Like anything down to that extent. It was just, you know, just kind of a tool. So, yeah, that was that was sort of hit highlights of his reign. Lovely guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lovely that he got assassinated. Mm, by whomst? Uh, he got assassinated by Rigoberto Lopez Perez, who was a poet. Oh, okay. Interesting. So in 1956, he goes into one of Somoza's rich guy parties and uh, shoots him. Just blasts just, him. Just shoots him and, and gets turned into Swiss cheese I'm very quickly. I'm sure, yeah. But uh, takes him down. His page didn't say anything about why he did it, really. So <laughs> You wanted to move into like performance art, man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, so some more Somoza, you know, best and the brightest. Once he died, his older son, Luis Anastasio Somoza de Bale, took over, basically. His page is a lot briefer. He went to LSU. Really? Um, interesting. Yeah, he was he was U.S. educated okay. at Louisiana State. <laughs> he was still corrupt, you know, and still kind of a jackass like his father, but not as, like, not as mean, not as much of a dick. Tried to be a little bit more liberal and stuff, but like not read. Mm, I mean, no, no, just not little. actively evil, maybe or as evil. <laughs> no, I mean actively evil. For instance, oh, okay. he allowed uh, <laughs> he allowed the CIA 
to to launch, you know, Cuban traders to to go set sail for Cuba in the Bay of Pigs coup okay, attempt. Okay, yeah, that was not good. not cool. <laughs> <laughs> he allowed them to do that from Nicaragua's coast. So bad move there, uh, but he died. Cool. Massive heart attack in 1967, uh, but it's during his time in power uh, that the Nicaraguan Revolution kicks off. Oh, okay. Who we got? What's going on? The Nicaraguan Revolution was led uh, by a group called the Sandinista National Liberation Front. Okay. Is the guy... That guy's dead. Okay. So they just are like, we're taking up his mantle. Yeah. It was named after him. Yeah. He was like national folk hero guy. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're going for. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing with the Samosas is everyone can tell they're... American puppets, you know, so it's similar vein. Uh, So they're formed in 1961, and they're formed out of this pretty confusing mix of student opposition groups and radical groups and stuff that had been kind of bubbling in the campuses throughout the 50s and 60s. The early history, like I said, is kind of a confusing mix. The early history is pretty hazy because there's not a lot of time to fill out the paperwork to go back and do that. They're pretty, pretty clandestine. It's hard to tell when they're having meetings and who's there and all that stuff. But uh, they were founded by, among others, uh, a man named Carlos Fonseca uh, and uh, Tomas Borges. Uh, These were both radical Marxists, uh, fellows, student radical sort of guys. There we go. That came up in that group, uh, in that scene, rather. Uh, Borges was the older of the two. He kind of took Fonseca under his wing sort of thing. Uh, and then Fonseca may, it depends on your your source, uh, what sources you trust, <laughs> uh, if you think that maybe he was a KGB agent. Oh, okay, interesting. I'll keep an eye on him. There's something called the Matrokin Archive, which was made by this guy, Vasily Matrokin, uh, who allegedly copied, like on paper, a whole bunch of, <laughs> you know, art, uh, documents and shit before yeah. he defected. And people think that this is generally pretty good information, but some people kind of raise points of like, I mean, I know we make jokes like communism is when no food, but they have a copy machine, right? Like, <laughs> you probably could have Xerox Yeah, this, yeah. Wait, what year did that happen? Or what time period? You know, Did he come over with his archive? Yeah, because like, were there uh, cameras? Defected in 1992. Okay, he could have just taken a fucking picture. How did he defect in 1992? Yeah, how does that work? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the KGB didn't fold overnight. So Yeah, it took a second. Point is... Point is... Maybe. Weird... Maybe on this guy. Weird yeah. story. <laughs> so anyway, the Sandinistas is probably what I'll call them. The abbreviation in the notes is the FSLN. But this... I don't know if this is longer or shorter than Sandinistas. So I like Sandinistas. They were inspired to, to do this and put their group together and start doing revolution... By the success of the Cuban Revolution. Ooh, okay. Kind of convinces them, yeah, a radical insurgent revolution can work. Yes. And they were adherents of the Cuban method, uh, which was called folkismo, or foco theory. Okay. Which is, what did they do? So they took Marxist-Leninism, applied it to their conditions in Latin America, and said, okay, well, we're going to wage a guerrilla war in the countryside. Totally. And gradually take over, you know, the country. Yeah. So they're like, that's what we're going to do. So they start out really, really 
tiny. Around 20 members. <laughs> oh, that's real small. Okay. Uh, hey, man, they had like 60 after their first year. Okay, not bad. Yeah, uh, you know, it lo- does look puny. Mm-hmm. But that's 60 more like militant revolutionaries than we have that's true so that's true (laughs) (laughs) and they struggle in those early days they lose some early battles because they're college kids putting this together (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) (laughs) so it's rough early going although in in their early years in 1963 when they get a future important character recruit uh daniel ortega how important is this guy he's currently the leader of Nicaragua. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) Keep an eye on that one. Yeah. He'll feature heavily later on and in part two. Okay. (laughs) The Sandinistas have been formed. They're just getting started uh, when uh, the older son of the Somozas has his heart attack, dies, and is is succeeded by his younger brother, Anastasio Somoza de Bale Tachito. So, real quick. The current government, I mean, it it's not like obviously a monarchy, but it does not have any sort of democracy in it. It's just like a just a military government. No, they would have like the office of president. I think they did have quote unquote elections. <laughs> a wink and a nod election. Yeah. But it was still uh very restricted, you know, um political rights in terms of press restrictions, candidates' opposition, candidates being jailed, things like that. So it was definitely not a free political system. They would have elections, but... (laughs) Yeah, so now the younger son, the younger brother, the younger son takes over. Uh, His nickname was Tachito, little Tacho. Tachito. Very cute, but probably very evil. Yeah, he was just as much of a jerk as his dad was. Uh, He was also U.S. educated. He went to West Point. Oh, great. Good place to train up a dictator, huh? Yeah, yeah. Learn all those little (laughs) tricks there. They have like a little hall of dictators portrait. A portrait (laughs) wall. That was in 1967 that he takes power. And this is when the Sandinistas start up armed conflict again in earnest. Because they just, you know, kind of got wiped early on. They had to put stuff together again. Started recruiting and educating peasants in the countryside to kind of grow their ranks. And they had some interesting tactics. They would roll in and just kind of overwhelm a town, you know, out in the sticks. Uh, They'd show up and capture it. And they'd uh, round up whoever people didn't like, you know, the landlord, uh, the general or whatever, the rich assholes. And they'd have a little mock trial and execute them. Oh, my God. Okay. Interesting. And then they'd read a, read off a pamphlet and, you know, spout off some some uh, some communist propaganda. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then ditch. They would just be like, see you later. Poof. <laughs> They're like, just vigilante justice out here. Yeah. And so people then, you know, afterward would be like, that was pretty cool. I think I'm a communist now. Like, <laughs> I've never met one, but the ones I did meet were pretty cool. <laughs> they got rid of my landlord. <laughs> yeah. So this sort of, you know, spreads their popularity, spreads word about them. Not the best year for Daniel Ortega, who we mentioned before, because he got imprisoned. A pretty cool way to go, though. He, uh, he uh, did an armed robbery of a Bank of America branch. <laughs> 
okay. And he just, you know, did a stick up. Give me all your all you got and everything. But he didn't get away with it. Got to fund the revolution somehow, I guess. Right. It worked for Stalin. Yeah. So. Yeah. He thought he could just <laughs> hop off a train and be fine. Yeah. Uh, but he got arrested. Two years later, the Sandinistas issued their historic program, which is like their manifesto. Gotcha. 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 I was about, just about to ask, like, what's their deal? What do they believe in? Well, that's the thing is, from the beginning, they really were still hammering that out. They were such a a amalgam of all these different student groups and everything. They really didn't know precisely what they're going for. So it took them a while. Uh, but here's it's it's a pretty long document. I linked it in the notes. But some highlights for the listener: human rights and freedoms, including religion. Great. I said, yeah. All right. These are all things they're like, Those are yes, good. this is what we support. <laughs> good start. <laughs> the abolition of the National Guard. I wanted to replace it with a people's army in defense of the revolution, complete with compulsory national service. Mm, kind of a Not as cool. No. <laughs> uh, workers' rights and control of industry. Great. Uh, the right to a job. This was bigger for them. Eight-hour day. Oof. Again, bigger for them. Wow, yeah. It's, it's an improvement. Uh, <laughs> A living wage, uh, the right to vacations. Yeah, uh, we don't disability. have that. No, yeah, we that would that would be nice. That would be great. It's not like it's a futuristic thing or anything. I mean, <laughs> the GDR had it, for example. Uh, <laughs> disability insurance, retirement program, uh, national economic planning for industrialization and electrification. They wanted to expropriate the Samosas and all their corrupt cronies. Uh, they want a land reform. My fave. <laughs> land reform to the peasants. Encourage cooperatives. Uh, they wanted to nationalize foreign extractive industries. They wanted to ignore. Yeah, they put in there like basically all foreign loans and stuff that we have should be ignored. We're not going to do anything <laughs> with those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just wipe those off the books. Yeah, just completely gone. And uh, they were going to have state control of foreign trade. They're going to restrict the import of luxury items. Uh, they're going to prohibit usury and abolish peasant debts. Uh, they also wanted to abolish literacy. Uh, that's the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> abolish like, what? illiteracy. Okay. <laughs> no one can read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my bad. Abolish illiteracy. <laughs> uh, they wanted more highly trained teachers on to nationalize schools Universal free education, universal child care, universal health care. Yeah. All these great things that we know and love. Housing guarantee, affordable, universal utilities. Got to throw you a wrench in every once in a while. A little controversy. Uh, ban on sex work, specifically prostitution. Not great. It is one of those sort of uh, debates, I think, in the communist socialist side of that whole abolition of work, sex work thing. And you could say that under the current system, like it was very clearly like a government propped up black market situation, which like could not be good for the sex workers, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You got to think of where they're coming from. Protection of indigenous rights. Uh, this is one that they had in their manifesto, protection of indigenous rights, that they do struggle with as an organization. Uh-oh. Um, early on, they just really don't think about that. The whole the first phase of the Nicaraguan revolution when they're trying to overthrow the Somozas doesn't really have much to do uh, with the indigenous population who mainly lived on the Atlantic coast of mm, Nicaragua. Okay. 
whereas most of the most of everything else was happening in the West. So they didn't take their campaign over there and try to recruit or like try to talk. Right. And so initially the indigenous population, one of the main groups there is the Miskito population, were kind of like, eh, we, you know, we don't like the Samosas. They're cruel they to suck. us. They suck, yeah. Uh, they don't do anything but whenever we complain about them leaving us alone out here in, in squalor, they, they come and send tanks to kill us. But when the government, when, when the Sandinistas took power and then were like, we're going to do these nationwide programs, the Mosquitoes, who really had not been let, uh, reached out to at all, were pretty fearful Yeah. That what little autonomy that they wanted to keep, maintain, expand was actually going to be taken away. They, they kind of have some conflict. And then later in part two, we'll get into like the Contras and stuff. They kind of play on that and kind of use that against the Sandinistas later. Interesting. Okay. But it starts out as part of their program. Yeah. Just yeah. not part that they really do well with. Yeah. They just kind of name it without action, which is not enough. You got to go talk to the people. Uh, they wanted to establish the economic, political, and cultural equality between men and women. Great. They wanted two months maternity leave. That's not very money, but sure. Well, better than zero. Better than zero. <laughs> uh, they wanted to keep the U.S. military out, including... Uh, they also mentioned that they wanted to kick out the Peace Corps, who they mm. I thought pretty funnily uh, said spies disguised as technicians. Oh, okay. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, it sometimes was true, yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. It wasn't always. It's like... Uh, USAID and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes just genuine and, and it's also used as a cover for intelligence stuff. And they also declared solidarity with working people throughout the Americas and throughout the world united against imperialism. I mean, pretty good doc. I really only had like one and a half strikes on that, you know? You didn't like the conscription and then the sex worker thing. I'm like, again, I see where you're coming from, but like. In the con- yeah. Yeah. I yeah. get that. Not. Not great. And then uh, the, the lack of follow through. But we don't really know that yet as of the document. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's <yeah>. a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's their historic program. Pretty historic. That's pretty baller to say, like, I'm about to do something that's historic. <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> shooting your shot. <laughs> yeah, that takes balls. Yeah. Write this down. You're going to want to remember it. <laughs> this is a big one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then we get into kind of the... Uh, full into the full swing of the revolution. They, they were they were kind of getting the gears going and starting things up. One of the events that really accelerates things is in 1972. There is a huge earthquake. Oh, okay. In Nicaragua, uh, this specifically, uh, I'm not sure the epicenter or really I'm not sure about earthquake science enough to know where the <laughs> bad point is, but it really hit Managua, the capital. Well, what were you looking at on the scale? Did you know that they don't actually use the Richter scale anymore? <gasps> oh, no. What do they use? Well, they still report the Richter scale. The media just reports oh, okay, Richter okay. scale because people know it. Uh-huh. But it's something else. They tr- they oh. changed something because it was like slightly more accurate or something. I'm like sure. It was a magnitude of 6.3. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a big one. Oh, it was pretty bad. Uh, around 10,000 uh, people were killed. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Most lots of the city was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Around two thirds of Managua's residents, about a million residents, uh, were displaced, uh, faced food shortages and disease. Terrible stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'm willing to bet that the 
Somoza government had not invested in infrastructure. You don't think so? I'm going to guess no. <laughs> no, they, they really hadn't. Um, lots of the construction in the city was not what we would consider up to code uh, for a place that you know could be prone to earthquakes. And they had terrible crisis response, obviously, just because they're corrupt and inefficient, but also just because of straight-up embezzlement. Uh, they received millions and millions of dollars of aid that Tachito just stole. Oh, my God. Okay. What a he real just, piece of shit. He just took that. Uh, he even uh, exported for profit. They, they, had, uh, they had sent in a whole bunch of blood plasma for disaster <gasps> relief. Uh-huh. And he was like, cool, blood plasma. I'm going to sell he this. He fucking sold the plasma? Yeah. <gasps> I hope he gets decapitated. I'm rooting for that. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. No spoilies. I won't <laughs> Google it between. <laughs> uh, but shit was was really bad there. Like he he was just you know, the whole regime was just so blatantly corrupt. Uh, there was a baseball star at the time, Roberto Clemente, who you know wanted to help the situation, but he knew that everything was so corrupt there. He was like, oh, I'm gonna actually go with this next relief flight, make sure that everything gets where it needs to go, that sort of thing. And that plane crashed. He <gasps> oh my uh, God. So that's uh that's on Tachito for, Holy for robbing shit. the world of Roberto Clemente. Wow. Okay. Not good stuff. So the earthquake was, I think important because it kind of makes a way wider segment of the population, including a more prosperous segment, businesses and liberals in the capital start turning against the government and supporting this revolution led by the Sandinistas because that government's no longer doing its job of helping them. Yeah. And like they, I mean, don't have a home or business to defend and worry about like a lot of, you know, middle-class people usually are very tied to our possessions and reluctant to lose that in a revolutionary struggle. And they're like, I got nothing to lose. Like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. And the normal channels of like, the government's going to help you get back on your feet or yeah, something. Like, that's not happening. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So it really de delegitimized the Somoza regime. Totally. And made the Sandinistas gain in strength. Wow. Okay. So that helped him out. Another thing that helped him out was a Christmas party in mm. 1974. What happened? So here Somoza and his rich friends were having a Christmas party. Uh, They're having it at the house of or the biggest probably the mansion <laughs> of jose maria castillo quant one of his his you know cronies and the sandinistas did this daring raid of this christmas party <gasps> that's amazing they just bust in boom, boom boom you know they uh shot up two of the body killed two bodyguards and took 12 hostages and out of this uh, they take 12 hostages and they're like we're gonna start killing hostages you know Somoza pays them a million dollars and frees 14 Sandinistas from prison, including Ortega, and agrees to like publish some of their manifestos, shit, and whatever. Interesting. I don't know if I would have taken that. I like the prisoner release, but like, really? Like, you got all the leaders in a room. Why don't you just keep going? Well, they didn't have Somoza proper. Okay, okay, okay. No, uh, th this, this was just. They had a bunch of his guys, and so they were negotiating with him from afar, I think. Mm, okay, gotcha. Well, I thought this was kind of funny. During the 
raid, they killed the host of the Christmas party, <laughs> who was like trying to pull a gun on them. Later on, his daughter went on to be a captain in the Sandinista army. <laughs> She's like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so that was intense. Somoza responded with martial law. Yeah. After, after all that. Did he, did he follow through? Did he publish the, the manifesto and stuff? I think so, but it was very limited in, in like its area. You know, <laughs> It's like a blurry picture. Like it. <laughs> Here they are. I don't know what happened. That's the picture you gave me. It's upside down and like backwards. <laughs> it's got a mustache drawn on it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's notes. <laughs> uh, in 1976, our friend Carlos Fonseca, one of the founders, uh, slash maybe KGB agent, um, was, <laughs> yeah, was killed. Yeah. Okay. In a mountain ambush, uh, like, a, like a failed attack that the Sandinistas were doing. He got killed. And this is the point at which the, the party... Uh, split up everyone's favorite thing for us to do right everyone's favorite we, we haven't done it yet i was surprised i was like you did say earlier like twice like this is a diverse amalgam of groups i'm like oh, usually not a good thing for us but okay well here they are remembering <sighs> their diversity mm-hmm. they're like wait a minute fuck you guys <laughs> <laughs> really after yeah. those two you know big wins i'm not that the earthquake is a win but you know windfall and then like i'd be st- I, you'd think you'd be fucking like blood family for life. Like we just fucking raided a Christmas party together. <laughs> yeah, but the battle where Fonseca is killed, I mean, mm. he was one of their main guys. Demoralized. And it was a pretty big defeat. And then they're sort of doubting themselves. Mm, okay, okay. So they say some one group is like, we want to kind of keep doing the same strategy. Prolong people's war. Uh, stick to the countrysides. Keep doing that. Do you got a reformist in the other group? One side was not so much reformist as they were saying, we want to work, uh, start focusing also on the proletarians of the city. They're called the proletarian tendency. And they were like, let's go recruit people in the cities, particularly let's focus on more of an urban guerrilla strategy. Mm, interesting. I mean, why not both? Oh my God, guys. Well, there was also a group called the Terceristas. Okay, so third. The, the third way, <laughs> yeah. And they said, yes, arm struggle, let's do that. And yes, let's start forming a popular front with other anti-Samosa groups, even if they're not us, you know, they're just libs or whatever, like, let's team up with them. Do some outreach. Yeah, while we're doing the actual real-ass guerrilla stuff, too. That's also fine. They were all kind of arguing about it, and they are like, you know what, let's not start fighting each other, but... Let's do our own thing. Like let's let's all organize in our okay, different ways. Okay, okay. You know, I'm okay with that. Maybe it's similar. It reminded me, I guess, of what we saw in Nepal. I was thinking that their yeah. example of like, all right, you go focus on your area, but we're still on the same team. Yeah, that's kind of what they do. Cool. Okay. Okay. Uh, so then, the next big event is in 1978. Okay, so this is also just a recap, a really complicated uh, military struggle and all this. We, we are, again, always with stuff like this, <laughs> just hitting the highlights. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's why I'm skipping years here. Uh, 1978, there was a big event where the government, Somoza's government, gunned down in the streets the editor of a major opposition newspaper. Woof. Okay. Like, just, he was just going home and they're just like, there he is, get and him. And brap. Yeah, they just Wow. Kinda, okay. Uh, not brap, but 
Kablau. It was, oh. a sh- it was shotguns. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, he was killed by unknown gunmen who pulled up beside him in a car and opened fire with shotguns. Pretty much right after that, they were like, oh, actually, this was Somoza. Oh, okay. They, had, they like, admitted to it? No, Somoza didn't, but everyone was everyone like, oh, knew. this is easily, this is de- definitely Somoza. Um, hey, what's, uh, maybe this is part two question. U.S. is, uh, hanging out still, helping, you know, doing their thing. Yeah, they're still selling weapons to Somoza. He was getting help from them. He was getting help from Argentina. Yeah, he was still supported. Okay, just checking. There's an apocryphal quote. This one actually is tied to several different dictators, several different presidents. It depends <laughs> on who you ask, who said it. But one of those it's associated with is the Somoza dictatorship, where one president, I don't know, one president or another is says uh, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, the guy's name here who was shotgunned uh, was Pedro Joaquin Chamorro Cardinal. Uh, so he was the editor of La Prensa, which was this opposition magazine or newspaper rather. And this was seen as just a step too far. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, really? We're just going to do that now? Yeah. So you're, you're more, um, you know, respectability or good civil government sort of liberal types. This turned their stomachs. Yeah. You know, the like, rest of it's like much more underhanded, like, yeah, I'm doing black market stuff and rigging elections and all that stuff. But this is like, you're just going to start just being openly evil now. Right. Yeah. Imagine if, if Trump had assassinated a New York <laughs> Times columnist or something. I'm sure he like asked about it. Like, we can admit that, right? That he's like, what would it take? <laughs> this Brett Stevens, do, does he need to be alive? <laughs> that uh, It seems like a weak sort of thing to be. I mean, it's the bad. Turning point, it, but, but it is yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. I would have gotten more mad about the earthquake. I think, but sure, this is bad. Not a fan. Right, and so the Sandinistas kind of get a little shaken back into their groove. Say, "Whoa, hey, okay, all right." Uh, they're they're never ones really to just sit on on tragedies, I guess, and they they realize the potentials of them. Uh, they start coordinating some more and. They put together another cool, audacious thing. They do a takeover of the Nicaraguan like National Assembly. Holy shit. Okay. Like, while, it's in, while it's actually there. That's it, fucking it, cool. Session. This is in the capital? And like the, yeah. <gasps> that's so cool. So they just go capture the place. They take <laughs> nearly a thousand hostages, like including sitting, you know, <laughs> Congress people. <laughs> And what do they get for this? They get $500,000 in ransom, 59 political prisoners released. They also get to broadcast a Sandinista call for a general insurrection. Oh, cool. And they're given safe passage to Panama Holy to get shit. away from the, from the government. Man, okay. I was gonna, a good thing about taking hostages with a corrupt government is you know they're gonna pay you like that's how they've gotten out of everything so far is with money and underhanded deals it's not like in the united states where it's like we don't negotiate like you know (laughs) like he's gonna do it although on the other hand i mean maybe this is one of the reasons why there is this tagline you know oh we don't this this Mm. boilerplate response we don't negotiate with terrorists is because back in the day they used to mm-hmm. and they just kept it kept, was pretty kept cool having this. Yeah, <laughs> for the it, terrorists. it worked yeah <laughs> it worked and looked neat yeah yeah that's hilarious they do that that's 1978 
1979, the government's pissed off about that and they really ramp it up. They start just, they can't figure out which villages are supporting, um, or which people in which villages are supporting the Sandinistas and which ones aren't. So, so they just mow them down. Yeah. They take a little page out of, uh, the U S Vietnam playbook. Yeah. And they just, uh, you know, became necessary to destroy the village to save it. Mm-hmm. And just start raising villages, bombing the population in general. Obviously creating more enemies for mm-hmm. themselves in the process. One of the big things that they did was they killed a an American reporter. Oh, shit. A guy named Bill Stewart, an ABC News correspondent, was there reporting on... All that <laughs> violence that was happening gets stopped by like a, a government checkpoint thing. They they, they executed him. him and they had it on camera. It wasn't like <gasps> a broadcast thing or anything, but they they had the footage. Fuck. And so the U.S. government withdrew support, obviously, for them at that point. We can't by this point it was Jimmy Carter, uh, but that means like before that. Yeah, because like I, a game I like to play when we record is like I like to imagine like U.S. headlines on what they're saying about all this shit. So <laughs> they had to like, okay, hold on, guys, let's rewrite our news headlines for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, heroic Somoza <laughs> government troops. Now it's <laughs> dastardly. <laughs> yeah, command F. Somoza government thugs. <laughs> so this was sort of a turning point without big bad American older brother there to save you. The Sandinistas were able to expand their control a whole lot. They started taking over the countryside in, in basically across the country, everything but the capital really by June, 1979, they, they essentially had the place surrounded July 17th, uh, 1979. Somoza seeing the writing on the wall resigned Oh, okay. And uh, fucked off to Miami. (laughs) Oh, my God. Did he, like, get to live there without getting decapitated? Uh, He got to live in Miami without getting decapitated. I hate that. So he he also left with most of the Nicaraguan treasury. Oh, my God. Of course he did. Yeah. He he had millions. Anything (sighs) that wasn't nailed down, you know. um, He left them. I think they had, like, $2 million or something like that in the treasury, like, total that's not very money dollars yeah uh that's all they had left after okay. he was <laughs> after he took throwing the money okay so he he went there first eventually ends up living in exile in Paraguay. and people in nicaragua they were like i wish that guy had gotten decapitated yeah or, or, or killed <laughs> or faced some sort of justice and there was a group of Sandinistas who felt the same way they put together this uh hunter squad sort of thing oh cool and they went after him and they like spied on him and got like his routine down and everything. This squad of like seven guys uh, and they track him down there and they figure out his schedule and they wait till he's, you know, being driven somewhere in his Mercedes Benz and they pop out and they blast him with a <gasps> rocket launcher. Fuck yeah. That's so cool. That's cool. in decapitation. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. It blows up. They do kill the driver, but. He oh, gets yeah, blown sorry. up. Um, <laughs> sorry, They Denver. allegedly had to, the only way they were able to identify him was by his feet, because that was the only 
thing that was left. Well, oh, okay. I get you. I get you. Uh, so that was a good ending. I wow. Think, wow. I mean, I'm usually not into violence, but that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Unlucky turn for the driver, but, uh, but definitely Samosa got what was coming. Good. Good. That guy fucking sucked. All right. So uh, that was kind of, it's after that, the, the Sandinistas roll into the capital. Fuck yes. Take the place over and are in charge. They're initially in charge as like part of a, part of like a coalition junta style thing. Like they have some of them and some of like the, the other people that had been in the popular front. Uh, This gradually gives way because the Sandinistas are in the key positions. Uh, and they're effectively able to get what they want done. And the other groups don't really like that they're never going to get their way. And so they gradually drop out and complain about it and say, oh, we're we're sidelined. I'm not going to be a part of this sort of thing. Which, I mean, does make sense, I think, from their point of view. I'm rooting for the other guys, so <laughs> I'm the like, The other guys are doing cooler losers. things. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but I get where they're coming from. I mean, you know, sure. Might feel the same way if the shoe was on the other foot. And it's, it is an important distinction with these guys because the non-Sandinistas, what they essentially wanted to do was to keep the status quo with not quite such a brutal guy or group of guys in charge. I mean, they, they, they want the Somoza system without the Somozas. So, but still like being corrupt and like... All Not that? so much that. No, I guess I wouldn't go so far, but I think that for that was to them, they saw that as the wrong people are there. Uh, okay, these are your never Trumpers. Yeah, it's a classic liberal thing of like, we need good people mm-hmm. in office. And so... Not like, maybe the system's bad. <laughs> right, but let's have the system with good people in it. Okay, so What's they weren't buying into any of the manifesto stuff. They're just like, no, 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 we're going to keep what, what we're doing, but... Yeah, just try again. <laughs> and well, yeah, I guess, you know, it's a little unfair to say keep completely what they're doing. Well, they do know. want some reforms, but the overall system, yeah. And crucially, imperialism. I mean, they still want That's to what I was going to say. Yeah, they want to be allied with the U.S. They want to take its orders. Yeah, which like, if you're going to do that, like, what's to fucking stop it from happening again? You know, like you are just setting yourself up for Samoza Part 2. Yes, for sure. So they're in this, initially in this nine person sort of junta thing the other guys drop out so they, it ends up being this sandinista controlled government and overall they are in charge from 1979 till 1990 and i guess the last part that i wanted to wrap up with in part one is just to leave us on a well maybe we'll always find a way not to but i <laughs> i'll give us the chance to leave on a, on a positive <laughs> note here okay Knowing that we're going to get to real bad shit, the flip side to when they were in power of their enemies trying to do coups against them all the time. So we'll talk about the, their accomplishments, I think, in their, in their, first, their first stint in power in Nicaragua. Uh, one is your favorite thing. Land, land reform. reform. They do land reform to about half of the country's arable land. Uh, benefits about 60% of campesino families. Why wouldn't you do all of it? Well, this is sort of a thing that is, uh, you can look back on and sort of criticize, is they were, 
the whole time they're trying to do sort of a mixed economy. They are not really trying to do 100% socialism. They've got different factions within the party and they're still trying to do a general like kind of appeal to non-socialist communists too. Mm. So they're trying to have this mass appeal and they think that the way to do this is play in the middle. Not go full socialism. Yeah. Let's play in the middle. And so their land reform by doing it that way, it doesn't benefit as many people as it could. Right. So you leave out peasants that never got anything from your land reform. So later when the contras sweep around and they're like, Hey, you like these assholes back in the capital? And they're like, not really. They didn't give me land. Join us. And you also leave like people in power that you don't want to be in power. Right. You leave some large landowners that are really not initially, you know, super on your side. They're probably not likely to be, but they're still eternally scared that you're gonna take the rest of their land. And so they don't like you. Oh, you gotta go whole hog people. Yeah. So whereas you could have taken from them and made them a sure enemy and <laughs> given to these people and made them your friends. Now, now they're both your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Or your potential you, enemy. You fucked it up. Yeah. So they tried and I think they did a much better, much better, miles better than Samosa. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because <laughs> they were genuinely doing it. One of the you know shortcomings, I think, is it wasn't far enough. But they did land reform. Uh, they they also confiscated. One thing they didn't go half-hearted on was they confiscated all that sweet, sweet Samosa land. Fuck they yeah. They did that. They expanded labor rights, uh, including the right to form a union, collective bargaining. And so, yeah, they, they tried to make some improvements. In that regard, uh, let's see, education and literacy. Gotta love communist literacy campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what one We're of our hallmarks. Yeah. You got, when, one thing I like to think about is while Cuba was doing its literacy campaign in 1960, the American South was doing literacy tests to disenfranchise black voters. Extremely true. So uh, land of the free, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the... The education and literacy initiatives uh, include building 2,500 new schools, training up thousands, tens of thousands of people, both youths like high school, college age, and adults of varying backgrounds to take part in a literacy campaign helped organized by citizens groups and workers associations and youth orgs and uh, all this sorts of stuff. I love that. Yeah, it's kind of modeled on the Cuban thing, too. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, they form the Popular Literacy Army. That's so cool. It's cool. I mean, you want to be in it. It's popular. Uh, yeah, it's popular. It's about <laughs> reading. Those are like some of my fave things. Hell yeah. <laughs> so they have nearly 100,000 volunteers go join the Popular Literacy Army and go into the countryside. And they especially the the young people there because they had two different groups. They had people like who were maybe government workers or housewives or people who would not be able to leave the countryside. But then you had, you know, younger people, university students, stuff not tied down. They would go out and, and integrate into the campesino communities and live among them and educate them and, and, and all this. About 60% of these, uh, the brigadistas uh, were women. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And it was seen not just as a, um, a means to teach literacy itself, but also as a means of binding the country 
together of integrating more closely, healing that divide between rural and urban. And I bet like breaking down some of the sexism too. Mm, yeah, 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 for sure. We said Cuba inspired this, but they also played an important role uh, providing teachers on a yearly basis. Hell yeah. Training Nicaraguan teachers in Cuba. Cuba's so cool. They <laughs> they are, yeah. <laughs> uh, they also, about 2,000 um, Nicaraguan students, primary and secondary students, uh, got to study in Cuba as well. Paid for wow. by Cuba. That's great. Yeah, they were definitely there their comrade in all this uh i liked this that the they had like a basic reader like a little a primer oh yeah there you go i was trying to think of uh what an example of that would be <laughs> that they would disseminate called dawn of the people oh <gasps> that's so cute <laughs> yeah and it was it was based on you know stories about sandino and carlos Aww. fonseca and the sandinista struggle Make a little communist children's book. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be adorable. You could get it banned. So cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that was cute. Um, And this was overall a success. It uh, took down illiteracy by a lot. Uh, They were countrywide average was around 50%, way higher, like 95% in the countryside. They took that down to anywhere from like 18 to less than 10%. Depends on your sources and exact year that you're measuring. Way down. That's crazy. They are eventually awarded by UNESCO, like the UN education thing, um, for (laughs) their efforts. Uh, The Literacy Prize, till the fall of the Soviet Union, one of them was called the Nadezhda Khrushchev. uh, Of course it was. Literacy Prize, sponsored by the Soviet Union. Man, we're so good at literacy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who the hell else? You could name, I mean, you could also name it after Cuba, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if they wanted to sponsor one. But yeah, they got the, the literacy prize for that. Amazing. Props to them. That was definitely just a success. There wasn't any real downside to that. No, I love it. <laughs> uh, healthcare. Uh, under Minister of Health Dora Maria Tejas who was a former medical student turned guerrilla leader in the Sandinista. So cool. Yeah. In the Sandinista army. So healthcare went from nothing, mm-hmm. you know, just like private, which no. people care, uh, to having a national health service. Jealous. They were able to eliminate polio, cut infant mortality and malnutrition by a lot. I actually didn't get the exact numbers, but by a lot. Uh, and, they did not do this alone. They had the help of... Cuba. Cuba. That's right. Yeah. Over 1,500 Cuban doctors came to help Nicaragua. Fuck yeah. Don't they have like a ton of doctors? Yes. Yeah. They, yeah. they export doctors. And it's it's under a contract. So like that, that payment plan goes through their government and everything. I really do want to, you know, research more. My gut feeling is that that would not be... A racket. Yeah, this this would not be some sort of gross exploitation of Cuban doctors. You know, you're it's from your typical right wing outlets that will be like, oh, this is these are just Cuban slave doctors and stuff like that. Def I'm I'm almost a million percent sure that's like not the <laughs> Probably case. Probably not. There may be some aspects as like the doctors wanna fix and stuff. 
I don't know. I'd want to research it more. But yeah, my understanding of it, they just, they export doctors. They're way better than us regarding healthcare. I'm sure. Uh, women. Women. Love those. <laughs> yeah. La Sandinistas made up around 30% of the FSLN overall. Uh, 27% of leadership positions and 31% of executive or like, I guess, you know, central committee types type uh, positions were women. That's pretty good. I mean, better than we got now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A large majority of the neighborhood committees, the committees of the defense of Sandinista, like committees of defense of the revolution style thing, uh, were women as well. And the Sandinista government, once they took power, took several like legal means to try to increase women's rights. So one that I thought was interesting was prohibiting the use of the female body to sell products in Nicaragua. Interesting. To prevent uh, sexualizing or making women into sexual objects. That's very interesting. I wonder how that works. Oh, that that would just be such a change in the landscape. Yeah. Does it have to just... Does it have to be very prudish? Can you have women at all on Yeah. Things? It's a very judgment call sometimes. Yeah, that's very interesting. Or is it just like, <laughs> well, I mean, if, I mean, you did say they're doing a mixed economy, but if you weren't doing a mixed economy, then like, this isn't a problem because like, fuck, you don't have to do advertising, guys. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> they also promoted breastfeeding and made uh, legalized breaks for women, for working women to do so. They eliminated the distinction between children born in and out of wedlock. This was something that the Soviet Union did as well. Uh, they also uh, banned uh, Nicaragua used to have this law called the family wage that where men were just were paid for their family. So if the kid was out working in the factory or the wife was working at the laundry, Oof. they were just paid all the money. So they said, fuck that. Yeah, that's that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Really, anything that ties people economically like that together is very dangerous for women. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how financial abuse happens. Yeah. Uh, it required that men and women shared household duties, including child care. There was something called the nurture law, uh, which mandated that men were responsible for half of whatever their child needed. Education, upbringing, support, clothing, until they reached 18. How do you I, enforce that? Like, <laughs> I think this may be one of those things they just put into law. Uh-huh. Like, there. Do it. <laughs> I mean, monetarily, you could enforce it, you know, that way you don't have, like, deadbeat dads and shit, but, like, the care is going to be tough. Like, I, I could just imagine, like, someone yelling from the kitchen, like, get your ass in here. It's your turn to cook dinner, or I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That would be funny. You're like, you, so you answer that call, right? And you show up. <laughs> Sir... She says you're not doing the dishes, but like he's like standing at the sink, like just doing the classic, like washing a dish, right? Uh-huh. No, no, no. I swear I'm doing it. Really? Okay. Uh, you don't have any soap on that sponge. You know, just like he's <laughs> fucking up the basics yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh. I swear I know how. All right. So <laughs> those are some of their, some of their women's rights initiatives. Uh, one thing I thought you would like about them is... Their initiatives in culture. Hmm. Tell me about culture. So for one, they had a very interesting dude as their minister of culture, uh, a Marxist 
Catholic priest <laughs> named Ernesto Cardinal. Okay, tell me more. Uh, he was also a poet, um, oh, and he okay. was an adherent of liberation theology. Ah, okay, okay, I can get down with that. Not, I mean, still not my flavor, but I respect the flavor. Yeah, so to give listeners an example of his flavor, here's a quote from him, from uh, Ernesto Cardinal. Christ led me to Marx. For me, the four Gospels are all equally communist. I'm a Marxist who believes in God, follows Christ, and is a revolutionary for his kingdom. The Bible is full of revolutions. The prophets are people with a message of revolution. Jesus of Nazareth takes the revolutionary message of the prophets, and we will also continue to try to change the world and make revolution. Those revolutions failed, but others will come. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Carl, Engels, Lennon. <laughs> oh, I guess you have to do first names. Yeah, yeah. Because they're all first name guys. They are. <laughs> Can I tell a real quick side story? Yeah. <laughs> I was watching a documentary on, like, who wrote the New Testament. And so, you know, they went mm. through all the Gospels and there's a lot of, like, yeah, we don't actually know who wrote this, you know, <laughs> that kind of shit. Uh, but the best part was they had a really ominous soundtrack. It was like, <laughs> da, 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 da. it was very spooky. And I was like, what? And like an inopportune moments. So I'm like, Are, what is going on? <laughs> you keep looking up like someone dying. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, it was very disconcerting. That stuff is very confusing too. the authorship stuff because they have oh, different yeah. sources and like, yeah, <laughs> it was it was a mess. Basically, we don't know anything. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> This guy, very interesting Catholic priest uh, who was actually suspended from being a priest. Ooh. Uh, 1984. Uh, Ooh, which Pope part JP2. was that? JP2? Why are you JP2. playing me like that, JP? So the church was didn't. They were pro-Samosa early on. Oh. In the whole thing. What the fuck? Especially international, internationally, the church was way worse on the Nicaraguan revolution than in Nicaragua where they were seeing it, they tended to be more like, no, actually, Hey, Samosa sucks, you know? And they kind of turned on him fairly early in the process and supported the Sandinistas. But the thing that got Cardinal disbarred along with his brother later or earlier, some, I don't remember the timeline in there, but yeah, somewhere around the same time. He was also a priest, also involved in the government for a time. They got disbarred or dispriest, defrocked. Disrobed. No, disrobed is different. (laughs) Sorry, defrocked, defrocked. That's the word. (laughs) Um, Because uh, John Paul II made the Vatican or however, they made a change to where priests could no longer hold political office. Whereas before they hadn't, there was a guy in the House of Representatives who was a Catholic priest. I did not um, know that. Before that. And he, you know, didn't run again because he was like, oh, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe fair. Yeah. So that was the thing. And they were like, no, but we were helping the revolution, blah, blah, blah. And JPT was like, nope, you're out. I, I could see the, the sense of that law. But I also am like, this is a cool government, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, his brother, I think, when he he resigned his position at some point, and after enough time had passed, the church was like, okay, cool, you're a priest again. There you go. Uh, and I think for Ernesto Cardinal, it took till 2019 Whoa. when uh, Francis said, oh, never mind. You're good. You're cool. Yeah. 
You can oh, be interesting. Impeached. I bet the media read into that. Oh, sure. You know, <laughs> Red Francis over here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, side note about him, I think he's kind of an interesting guy. Yeah. He also, at some point, led some sort of kind of a peasant hippie artists commune thing. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. Interesting dude. Yeah. <laughs> so the Ministry of Culture was established to socialize the modes of cultural production. I love that. And essentially democratize culture, democratize art. That's my shit. Uh, make it accessible to all social classes, this sort of thing. So to spread things. Uh, it covers yeah. dance, music, art, theater, poetry, more. All the art. All sorts. Yeah. All Great. the art. They also wanted to kind of protect the right of oppressed classes, oppressed people to be able to produce their own art, distribute, receive art, all this. It also worked to develop uh, the working class, the campesinos, the peasant culture. Uh, it sponsored cultural workshops throughout the country in poor and rural areas. Uh, and it helped with the creation of theater groups and folklore and artisanal productions and song groups and, and journals and shit like that. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so you could have joined a little yeah theater brigade and oh, there's a spot for me in the revolution that's so great yeah oh good because i'm gonna be really useless at the beginning i can't i'm scared of guns i'm very slow like no i'm not gonna be helpful <laughs> well later you wouldn't be either they eventually cut the uh ministry of culture because of costs oh, like fuck <laughs> they had economic struggles and they were dealing with the civil war and stuff and so fuck okay i'm out of a job yeah, <laughs> at that point, <laughs> you'd, you'd be back on the streets. Back to being useless. <laughs> so yeah, that was in culture. Overall, you know, you can see in these efforts that they try to address inequalities in various parts of the of society, social, economic, political, uh, while trying to maintain freedoms for people kind of as their manifesto had said they really didn't do uh bloody executions of their rivals aside from the one let's go rpg the guy <laughs> that was somewhere else you know and they weren't having like mass executions of people in nicaragua uh they weren't doing these big you know let's get them revenge any of that uh and they weren't cracking down on political parties yeah, or religion for that matter. Yeah, yeah. They they and this is an interesting thing too, is that the church, like church members as well as evangelical uh Christians, played a pretty big role in this broad anti Somoza alliance. They operated outside the Sandinista group. Some of them were were inside as well. There was uh one uh literal priest that took up arms i mean he joined the sandinista army damn and said basically i i think my faith says i need to do this yeah to protect the people here and he ends up getting killed in the oh in the fighting but um damn man i can fuck these priests that's pretty cool yeah that's 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 a dope ass priest yeah so, so I mean, they, they played a role in that not always again and not always in the socialist camp but so the Sandinista movement is a little bit eclectic or unorthodox because it wants to find a way to, I think with any 
uh, with any communist or socialist system you're looking at, it's always having to find a way to adapt to its national conditions. And that was one is like, we have this strong church movement here that we don't want to antagonize. Totally. Okay. So question though, you said they didn't execute people. Spoiler for part two. Does this come back to bite them? I don't think that that hurts them as much. Maybe, maybe a little. Uh, But one thing I do think that it's maybe not the deciding factor. I think land reform and stuff plays a bit of a role in it too. But, well, and as we'll see, the U.S. plays a huge role in it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But one thing that doesn't make anything easier is their commitment to uh, kind of the liberal freedoms of, like, freedom of the press. Ah. Freedom of the press is great in that you can express your opinion uh, and, and express dissent against the imperialists it's not so it's it's less than great form is when it's used to express your dissent against like the will of the people because i guess that means you're trying to do what uh monarchy or fascism or yeah imperialism or capital you're you're doing something shitty if you're doing that i I think my question would be like who owns those newspapers what are their you know interests like they, they should have to like print that at the top like right underneath where it says like the daily whatever it's like owned by so and so who believes in x you know yeah if they maybe they <laughs> yeah maybe that's a compromise position is like cigarette packets you know <laughs> this ideology is known to enslave people <laughs> watch out <laughs> <laughs> you just show pictures like have a big stamp with like a like a, a homeless person like sitting under a bridge or something or, oh man I don't know, something awful just photos of that earthquake like remember this these guys yeah. are okay with that yeah or a bottle of water for three hundred dollars or something mm-hmm. i don't know you have to show grotesquities of, of capitalism <laughs> all that to say the downside of their commitment to that is it didn't it does make it easier for their opponents to start organizing again. It's, I mean, it's always a double-edged sword. You know, if you don't do that, if you say, well, fuck it, these guys are just going to be mean to us. We're going to close all that down. They're going to say you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. But if you do that, then they're going to say you're an asshole in the, in your own country's (laughs) newspapers. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's true. So that was, I think something that ends up kind of uh, coming back to bite them. But it's a, it's a tough one. I think if they if they had committed to possibly a less mixed economy or the land reform thing, I think that could have weighed that out. Because like, yeah, if everyone like benefits from your programs and there's like one guy being like, this fucking sucks. And like, right, everyone's like, that guy's crazy. Like, we don't have to listen <laughs> to him. Like, no one yeah. will buy his shitty newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's true is you could just. Like you always say, just do a better job. Do a good job. <laughs> Have you tried doing a good job? Why am I not in charge? So this is also really <laughs> difficult. You know, they they face, um, during the course of their uh, time in power, uh, they faced a big natural disaster in the form of uh, Hurricane Joan, uh, which wreaks havoc, of course. Uh, they're going to face an embargo from the U.S. starting in 1985. Uh, they're also going to face a massive war stoked by the U.S. as well. So, th- so they're they're definitely got some headwinds that we'll talk about in part two. Uh, but this is kind of where they got their start. Some of those uh, 
some of those accomplishments of the Sandinista regime in their first stint in power. Uh, and then I think next time we'll pick up with the beginnings of the Contra War, where we have uh, U.S. mercenaries uh, doing war crimes. Uh, it's definitely going to be a gallery of atrocities. Okay, exciting stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Gonna I've, had a, need some... I've had a good time reading about it already. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Bit of nightmare material, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, this is also another thing, if you're a newer listener, is it probably won't get the very, very gruesome details. I'm just not a fan of them. No, so, we're not into that. Uh, we'll, we'll just give you categories. But Yes, yes. What, well, what do you, what, what's your, I don't know, strikes or stars or how are you feeling about our friends? Review so far. I love the manifesto. I think that was great. I think I only had like one issue with the, the conscription thing, not my fave. I like... I like the cut of their jib in general, like overall positive review. I like what they're doing. think they should go further, honestly. Like the land reform thing, I think is not a smart play. Like, you know, it's kind of a classic liberal mindset of like, well, I don't want to piss anyone off. It's like, well, you just pissed off everybody. So good job. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> weenieism does not serve you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something they, they try to learn from here and there. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely example yeah i mean the freedom of the press thing again yeah I, we just talked about that like there's not a great answer to that besides just like yeah try to kick ass i guess i guess what i would say is like i'm I, listen i'm fine with crushing like actual dissent in terms of like there's a guy outside with you know guns and stuff but if it's just a guy saying stuff like i don't know i don't feel as comfortable crushing that maybe i'm too lib too lib to begin the training. Ugh, tragic. <laughs> what would he be like doing if you were too lib to begin the training? Listeners, this is a reference to Star Wars. <laughs> what is he even? What is the actual quote? We've bastardized it so much that I don't know. Too old. Too old. Too old to, to begin, begin the, the training. Um, too lib to begin the training. I don't know. He's he's just like, <laughs> well, maybe we could vote the empire out. <laughs> He's holding, uh, instead of like his lightsaber or whatever, he's holding like a, in this house, we believe in science. science. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's like, I'm actually here to campaign for an, an election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. This election is the most important event, important one of our lifetime. <laughs> the Imperial Senate will decide mm-hmm. the biggest questions. Uh, yeah. So I really like their... Illegal activities. I think that that was super cool. <laughs> yeah, the Christmas party. Like, I want to see some cool movies based off of this stuff. Yeah, it sounds odd. Like, I mean, because it could be a full-on 1970s, like, mm, uh, yes. period piece yes, thing. absolutely. I mean, everyone would look sexy. Yes. It'd be the best. I'm so into it. Like, please. That can be our next, you know, once they make that movie, then we can do a communist movie night <laughs> on it. Yes, this can go on our list of, again, we said cooler movies last week. This is one of the movies we want in the people's commune. We want cool movies about cool historical shit. Yes. Propaganda films, basically. Loosely based on a true story. Yes, that'd be fucking sweet. 
Um, yeah, there was some cool <laughs> shit. Like, was not expecting a rocket launcher to show up. Was not expecting <laughs> poets or priests. Like, a lot of... I'm going to have a fun time writing the, the episode description. <laughs> <laughs> they got poets, poets, priests, and rocket launchers. What else do you want? <laughs> and sometimes the poets are priests. Sometimes they are. <laughs> like, it's wild. All right. Uh, we'll leave the rest up for next time. Until then, I'll see you later. All righty. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.